Father Yahweh, blessed again by your word to bring me up, breath in my lungs for me to be a conduit of your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. Father God, thank you for this opportunity. Abba Yahweh Amma, Yeshua Amma, Barakletos Amma. So, I'm going to share yet again on perspective. Perspective. Point of view. Some people use them interchangeably, I suppose they may be. But let's look at it this way. Um, opinions are not facts. Remember, I've shared that with you before. They're just a perspective that a person might have or their point of view from their perspective of where they are and how they see something and how they understand it. it does not make it factual. But perspective is more direct. Uh, you're on a lookout mountain and you're looking to the north and that perspective or that point of view, that's where that term comes from, point of view, depending on which way you're standing, that's where you're pointing and that's what you see. That will be your view. So on this lookout mountain and you're looking to the north and your <clears throat> perspective or your point of view or what you see is one way, but you then turn slightly to the northeast and you see something different and yet part of that that you saw to the north and then you keep clicking around to different degrees and angles and your perspective alters by degrees and you will still see part of one and, and more to a different direction and you keep doing that and it repeats the same thing. You're able to see part of one and part of the other. My point would be, should we not be more like that with one another on this plane of existence that we can still see our point of view and see the point of view that someone else or see their point of view and then see our point of view and if you understand what I'm saying, and I'll clarify, is that at one point they actually blend. You say, well, how is that? What's that supposed to mean? Well, you can see both points, both directions. You can see their point of view, where they're standing, and you can see part of your point of view, they blend. And why is it that we can't do that more often here? Because people determine, mammon has determined that where they're looking or their idea is the idea, period. They don't want to hear anything else. They don't want to hear anyone else's opinion. So now we're going to go back into the Old Testament in the book of Kings, first Kings. And we have the story of Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel. Kind of an interesting fellow, actually. Very despicable, terrible, terrible king. And he married a woman Jezebel 
she was not from Israel. And she was an idol worshiper. She believed in Baal. Balaam. Balaam is, uh, I guess, how would you pronounce that? Balaam. But she believed in the false prophets, false deities, and she prayed to false gods. And actually convinced Ahab and convinced him of the same. And he was a terrible, terrible king. A terrible king. And she convinced him that they should be worshiping Baal. And remember as part of the story that... uh, is that Elijah went up on Carmel and challenged her, counselors and the false prophets that were with her, and that... He challenged them. He said, hey, if you call on your God, we'll see who withstands or who stands or who comes. You see, I know that my God is true and he'll send fire. So what they did is they, they took the challenge and they stacked up their sacrifice and they took water and poured it over Elijah's, which he told them to do. So they soaked his altar. They soaked the, prof, the, the sacrificial meat, the bullock that was slaughtered for the sacrifice. They soaked it in water. Just continually poured water over it. And they went ahead and they did what they were going to do. They did their little yada, 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 yada. Nothing happened. No response. Then Elijah said, Ah, it's my turn. And he spoke to the Lord, called down fire, and it came. It consumed the bullock. It consumed the altar. And all the water that was in the trenches that they had dug around the altar site was consumed by heavenly fire. So then Elijah and his men, they fell on those prophets and killed them all. That's why Elijah went on the run and ended up because Jezebel was very angry and she sent a message to him. That is, you did to my prophets, so shall I do to you. Ah, Elijah took off running. That's why he ended up on Mount Hebron. And here's a point to that. Before that took place, 
Elijah went out to all the people of the nation and said, how long do you hold between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. So they had no decision. They didn't go either way. They just sort of stood in the middle with no decision, no pers- no real perspective on anything. They weren't believing God. They weren't sure about Baal and his prophets and his counselors and so forth. Undecided. And this is when when Elijah spoke. And he told him, oh, you can find this in uh, 1 Kings 18, 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the other altar wood and put no fire under. Call on the name of your gods, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God that answered by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken, and Elijah did that thing. And to make the challenge more interesting, as I said, he took water and poured it on the bullock that he dressed and the wood and trenched around his altar. And the prophets from Baal, they danced around and tambourines and so forth and so on. Nothing happened. And so Elijah called upon the name of the Lord and fire came from heaven and consumed it. And the people saw what happened and they were moved because the true God answered with the fire. But it's unfortunate that I see through this and even through our day and age that we don't want to have faith in God, which is what Elijah was talking about when he addressed the people and asked them about the two opinions. They were undecided because they didn't see God doing anything. It's the way many are now. Even with that label tape slapped on their forehead it says Christian they don't see God they don't see Jesus they don't see just like some of the disciples when Jesus was getting ready to leave and go to heaven and he'd already told his disciples he said I have to go prepare a place for you if it were not so I would have told you he said but I have to go but be assured that I will have the father send another in my place he will be the comforter And he will explain things to you. He'll help you understand. He'll teach and guide. And he did that. He did that very thing he promised he would do. The only problem is that 
when Jesus was getting ready, there were some that had followed him for his walk. And when he was getting ready, they walked away. Some theological studiers, or those that claim to be theologians, they have decided that that little speech, what they call it, the Olivet Dissertation, the explanation of Jesus to them on the Mount of Olives. And there were many that turned away. They walked away because he was leaving now. He wasn't going to be there for them to see anymore. So that altered their perspective. The very thing that had been showing them all these miraculous things from heaven and the power of God was crucified and rose again and was getting ready to go to heaven. And yet they walked away. They just walked away and left. And I am just left with a thought. I mean, it's, it's not really important, but it's a thought that I had. You had this person, Thomas, doubting Thomas. It used to be an old saying that came up. Don't be such a doubting Thomas. When things were coming about, and um, mom used that term a couple times, I think. My earthly mother. Don't be such a doubting Thomas. I'd heard it somewhere. But, you know, if you were going to do something or have to go do something and then you found excuses not to do it because of this or that and the other, and then the term would come out. Don't be such a doubting Thomas. Just get it done. At every turn, at every opportunity, at everything that was told, shown, or explained... Thomas had something to say toward the negative about it. Interesting. But he was still used by the Lord. And every purpose that the Lord has, someone is able to be used. However, their perception is of import. And it is important because their perspective or their point of view or what they see or what they interpret is going to be, it it is that way today. It is that very way today. Thomas saw many things. He saw the Lord do and perform many things. He was at the wedding when Jesus turned the water into wine. And yet he doubted. He questioned. He was unsure. Was it gonna was the wine gonna be as good? Or was the wine gonna be tainted somehow? What the hands of the Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, was somehow gonna sour the wine? Oh, which incidentally was not wine yet, it was just water. But it turned out to be the best. The best. Better than the original that was brought by Thomas. 
And then you have Thomas was in the upper room and had ex- exclaimed his doubts to the other disciples. And he said, and Jesus was not there except in spirit. Couldn't be seen, but he was there. And Thomas said, well, you know, until I put my hands in the wounds of his hands and I thrust my hands in the spear wounds in his side, I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to have doubt until I see that, see those. I'm not going to believe it. And then Jesus appeared in that locked room again because they were meeting there pretty regular, but the room was always closed and secured. Why? Because they had fear of the temple guards. They had fear of the Sanhedrin and they were actually being hunted down. So the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord, of course, in his greeting to them, and peace, peace be unto you. And he brought that with him, from him, not as the world gives. And he told them that, not peace as the world gives, but my peace. For I have come in, I have overcome the world. My peace is true peace, peace that passeth all understanding. And then Jesus said, hey, Thomas, come over here and touch my wounds. Put your hands, thrust your hands in the wounds of my side, the spear wounds. Come on. Thomas said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And Jesus, I believe there was more than what we read in that particular passage here, but the Lord knew what he had already said to them. He knew what Thomas spoke to the others, and he wasn't there, but he knew. Perspectives are interesting, to say the least. Let's look at perspectives a little bit further. What is your perspective when the white noise of interference comes from Satan and his minions? When you don't do so well, at a task that the Lord has, or maybe you're just your, your walk and you know that we're supposed to walk a certain way and yet you fall down. And then the white noise of this devil and his minions start in. Man, you're not gonna actually get and read the word. You're not actually gonna pray to God after what you did just a while ago. You can't be serious. God doesn't want to hear from you. You're a failure. You're a failure. God doesn't even want to talk to you anymore. God doesn't want to hear from you anymore. So that perspective that they are trying to push onto you through their white noise interference and get your your point of view of what you think about yourself to change. Interesting. And that point of view was also one that was set to the spies that went into the land of Canaan. They went and they were told and promised of God that the land would be delivered. And yet you had a couple of these guys that went over into Hebron 
and they saw relatives of Goliath, the giants that lived there. And their perspective of what they saw of themselves, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as grasshoppers and they came back with a negative report on Canaan because they believed the white noise interference was set upon them. They said, we can't possibly do what God tells us because they're giants. Our sovereign Lord God, who has been with us through the wilderness and brought us pheasants and brought us and took care of us all this time from Egypt out to this point he brought us. But we can't possibly, how are we going to do that? He hasn't fought for us. He's only brought, well, excuse me. He took you out of Egypt out of bondage and led you, took you across the Red Sea so that when you crossed, your feet were dry and he took you through the wilderness, provide you water and the army of Egypt, the army of the Pharaoh was in pursuit. So he didn't actually take out swords or have you turn and have you fight them. He was protecting you because you had not gathered together any warriors as yet. You were still all laborers because you had surrendered yourselves and you didn't take the opportunity when God offered before, but you, Moses came. Moses came. And God delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. And then he closed the Red Sea on them and destroyed their entire army, all their chariots, all their horsemen, all their warriors. And he took them in the sea that you walked across with dry feet. And because your perspective had been changed and altered from the might of God, who had promised all things and promised to deliver the land, but you were convinced that you were just grasshoppers and would be destroyed. And you helped convince negatively the nation of Israel to not go to Canaan as God promised it would be delivered to you. But you didn't go because your perspective was different than God's. Here's something else about perspectives. You have all these doubts and all these wonders about God. Except that God loves us. And no matter, even when we were still at enmity with God, we still spoke against God. We didn't want anything to do with God. We had our doubts, we had our fears, we had all these opinions and all these perspectives. And yet, here came God, humbly, Lord Jesus, walking this earth as a man, tempted in life as a man. Satan knew the authority that he carried, so he came himself. He didn't he didn't bother with sending minions.
because he knew the authority that Jesus Christ was holding. And he came himself. He came before Jesus and tempted Jesus. And Jesus drew the swords from the army and he parried each thrust that Satan tried to put in him. Satan finally became exasperated and left. Then the angels came and they ministered to the Lord. Even through all of our hubbub, Jesus still came. For God so loved the world. The world. And here's the other perspectives that we have, points of view or whatever. You have blacks at enmity with whites and whites at enmity with blacks and browns and yellows and, and whatever other tonation that you decide to put on somebody. Have all these things going on. And then, of course, you have those of many colors all at once, the Rainbow Coalition, they call themselves now. I call them the alphabet folks because they keep adding letters to everything all the time. God, they have enmity against God, but God still loves them. We must still pray for them. The egregious actions of the elected officials and the liars that are bound around them and stand with them and just put out these lies and these falsehoods and these testimonies of death, literally death. And they convince people to follow fearfully. Still pray for them. They can still repent. They can still come forward after repentance and say, you know what? It hasn't been entirely true or it's been partially true or it's been just a lie and we've been trying to control. They could do that. It could happen. Chances are it not, but it could happen. We need to pray for them and give them the opportunity to do so. Everyone has the opportunity. Everyone should be given the opportunity. We are called to give that opportunity to them. And how is that, you might say? That's by prayer, petitioning God for the repentance and the saving of this nation, which it can be done once it was one nation under God. Not so much now. There are actually many gods here. And how did that happen? Okay, let's go back to 1 Kings and look at that. So Ahab, who was a Jew, king of Judah, and then you have Jezebel, who was not, at least she was Samaria, and came in and they worship Baal, false god, false idols, and they had all this stuff going on. He married her. He allowed her to bring her false idolatry instead of being an upright man of God. She brought her false idols, false gods, and her counselors with her, infiltrated and poisoned Israel. Ahab. We find out what happened to Ahab later on. And Ahab was told certain things 
and when he went out against um, Roboam, I believe his name was. I can't I think I'm pronouncing it right. But anyway, they went out to fight, and he kept trying to find out, am I supposed to do these things or go here? And when he went out, And he went out to the field of battle. That he was also, he disguised himself. They had set some kind of a plan in place and went out on the field of battle. And he disguised himself. And they went out. And of course, uh, he went in disguise. And Jehoshaphat went out and was clothed with his robes. And it was kind of a kind of a despicable thing, actually. Convinced him to put the robes and all that stuff on. And there were problems that he was having because Micah always told the truth and he always told them what the word of God had to say. And he didn't like that. So his perspective was that, oh, it's not good for me. So... I don't like him, so we're going to try to get everything changed and everything he says to change. And he had issues. And it's kind of funny how these kings that were not following what they were supposed to be told because they were being told directly from the Lord and the prophets that were being told by the Lord came and told it exactly to them, but they didn't like it because their perspective was that, wait a minute, that's not good for me. And actually the word against Micah, who was a prophet of the Lord, said, I don't like him. I don't like him because he didn't say anything good for me. He didn't say anything good about me. And so there was an issue there. But they all spoke. And they all spoke truth. So their perspective was, because it wasn't a good thing being said to me, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to believe it. It's not truth. Because it's not good things for me. So what is the perspective? Perspective is that we have to look through the lens of our Lord who sees us in our hearts and sees what's there and accept that truth. Even when we were at enmity with the Lord, we had no intention, but the Holy Spirit was tugging at our heart. Question, it does so, it does the same thing now. There are those out there who have an ear 
and who have sight. I'm talking about spiritually. They have spiritual hearing and they have spiritual eyesight, so they see certain things. Or when they look out in nature and they're looking with spiritual eyesight, they see the majesty of the Lord God Almighty who created all things. And then they hear his voice in the thunder. They hear his voice in the wind. They hear his voice in the rain, speaking more gently. Just like Elijah when he was out on the mountain. God told him, he said, go out on the mountain. Go on out there. He did as the Lord told him to do. And in the wind that was breaking the rocks, it was so powerful. And the thunders and the lightnings and the roaring winds. And then the great fire. And he went back into the cave. And what did he find there? The still, small, gentle voice of the Spirit of God still speaking to him. And there are those that say that, oh, God's not going to talk to us unless he's booming his voice out. That's not true. So they decide that it can't possibly be God because that voice is too gentle. Understand this and have this perspective because God has told us in many places that don't believe that white noise that's poured out on you. When you fall down, when you trip over a stumbling block that is put in your path and you fall, you didn't fail, you just there's a difference. And even if you fail at one task that was given or fail at one path and you fall down, it doesn't make you a failure. There is a difference. And you have to learn to understand that. You repent, you come back to the Lord and do not, do not follow that interference by white noise that tries to get your perspective altered and see yourself as a failure. You can't pray to God. You can't talk to God. How can you possibly go to church? You can't return to the Bible. What is sense is that? Look what you just did. Ah, but look what God has done. God removes those lies, those doubts that they try to put into your perspective. Reading this morning, I, I like the way this, like the way this ta- teacher puts this. No matter what limitations the world may tell you that you have, I see the world, the prince of the world. Greater is he than he who is in the world. The prince of the world, the prince of the airwave, the prince of darkness, Bazalbub, Lord of the Fly. He used Moses, who had a speech impediment. He led them out of out of Egypt. Samson was blinded. God still used him. <laughs> and Jacob wrestled with an angel and had his hip displaced. Walked with a limp for the rest of lives. But God still had plans for him. God's perspective does not see us with limitations. That is the perspective that we have of ourselves and we tend to believe 
And this is the pers- this is the perspective that Satan loves to have us in. See ourselves as less than we are. Believe that white noise interference and we will degrade ourselves, debase ourselves, and we will put those limitations on ourselves and drive ourselves deeper and deeper in the pit of darkness away from the light of the Lord. Why is that? Because we believe that we have to show off and not show out. It's not what God wants. God wants us to show out what he has put in. Profound difference. Show out, not show off. Not the same thing. Now, something interesting that I found when... uh, After Ahab was killed, interesting how he died, all the sin and everything he brought into Israel. And then he was disguised because he didn't want to be seen openly on the field of battle. And an errant arrow, one of the warriors, just took an arrow and shot it in the air. And... Ahab was in a chariot and it found that arrow that was just shot in the air. They had no idea where he was. He just shot it up there. They knew that he was running and hiding and that archer just shot it. And it fell into a space that was between the clasp and and the body of the armor. And it fell and struck Ahab. Ahab died. Isaiah, his son, and I said it was even worse than his father. <laughs> and <laughs> he fell I kind of ridiculous to me why I would even do that but this was this was showing out the judgment that was against him for the despicable things that he was doing to God's people and the leadership that he was exhibiting to God's people he fell through a lattice which is how the windows were covered it was not a screen per se but it was it was covering the window and he fell through it. Doesn't say how far he fell, but I mean it was an upper chamber because that's where the bedroom was. And he fell through it and he fell down and was injured. And he kept having the prophet say, oh, what's going to happen to me? And they'd come back and say, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Ah, but then. (laughs) He didn't go to the Lord God Almighty. Here's the interesting thing that I found was 
profound, actually. In the second book of Kings, in chapter 1, we find this. Hosea sent to Ekron to have the prophets of Bezalel. Have we not heard that name before? The Sanhedrin accused Jesus of praying to Beelzebub for deliverance and having that. And this is where Jesus turned back and gave them a parabolic saying. How can a house be divided and still stand? How can I cast out the devils and the demons by calling upon the name of the devil and demon? Makes no sense, but they didn't get it. Now here we go from, that's in the New Testament. Now we come all the way back to the Old Testament, the second book of Kings. Isaiah went to Beelzebub, a false deity that they were worshiping through the city of Ekron. Interestingly, translated to Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. And he fell down through that lattice and came down and broke his body, but he went instead of to the Lord, he had his counselors go to Ekron to Bezalbub and asked, how long shall it be or will I recover from this disease? But then the angel of the Lord came to Elijah. You go up, meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and tell them, You tell them, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Bezalbub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us and said unto us, Go, turn again unto the king that sent you and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not that because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Bezalbub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said to them, What manner of man was this which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. He recognized by their description. Isaiah recognized by a description. He knew who he was. And that perspective that he had being received of the truth, that wasn't good enough for him. He tried to alter it yet again. And he sent 
a captain of his hosts out with 50 men and they were going to bring Elijah back. Kind of interesting that he was intimidated by Elijah. Was intimidated that he had to send a captain with 50 men. Wasn't satisfied with going out and sending the captain and a couple guys. He sent him with 50. So they went out and they found Elijah and he was on top of the hill. And he said, thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. Elijah answered and told the captain of 50, if I be a man of God, then let their fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven, consumed him and his 50 men. See, Elijah was one atop of Mount Carmel that uh, called down fire from heaven and actually consumed both of the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal, they didn't succeed in their chanting and dancing for days. Elijah called down the true God, the one true God, and he sent fire down and... Remember, Elijah had them soak it in water in a trench around about with water. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed everything. Consumed it all. And Isaiah sent another captain with another 50 men. And they came and they found Elijah still in the same place, meditating on God, having a little bread. And when they said, you know, that you're a man of God, the king said, come down quickly. Elijah said, hey, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And it came down and consumed them. Isaiah sent another captain of 50. And this time, this captain of 50 came and in humbleness, he came to Elijah and he said, please, don't call down fire from heaven to consume me and my men. I'm, I'm just doing what the king told me to do. I'm not coming in arrogance. I'm not coming to issue orders to you as they may have done. But he said, to let my life be precious in your sight and behold me as being a precious thing. Don't have me consumed by the fire of heaven. not as you did with the other two, when they came in their arrogance. I come now before you and I ask you to come down. Elijah got up and he went down. And Elijah He talked to the king. And he said, hey, you didn't believe that there was a God here as your father. He didn't go into all this. I'm paraphrasing. 
He said, you, you worse than your father. Your father married Jezebel and brought her in this kingdom. And then you started the false deities and false uh, gods and so forth. And he said, you do so. And you didn't even believe that God was here. And you sent counselors to the God Beelzebub in the city of Ekron. I'm telling you now that you're not going to get off that bed that you went up to. You're going to surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. On Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, because he had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And you can find the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, and there you will find the rest of the story. Sorry, it was a little comic relief there. But perspectives, because they didn't see God acting, because they had rebelled against God and God's actions weren't there. So he sent counselors and they wanted to go to inquire as to the Lord of the flies. Was Azariah going to recover? No, he was not. Because he went, denied that God was there and that God was available and God was ready. So he went to a false god And was called of the pit, the Lord of the Flies. What is our perspective? And there are many now with that label tape on their forehead. Yeah, I'm a Christian, except they complain and gripe because, well, God doesn't talk to me and I've got all this stuff going on. I got this and that and this and that and this and that. Well, here's my perspective on that. You got that going on because Satan doesn't want you to be in a closer walk with God. So don't succumb to that white noise interference. And then there are those also that have that label tape on their forehead and they say, well, nothing's happening to me. What's up with that? And then they want to get sing-songy and smart-alecky about it. Well, here's my take on that one and my point of view, which is also scriptural. He doesn't do anything to you because he's got you already. The enemy has you right where he wants you and you are listening to that white noise interference. You've already turned a back to the word, to the church, to prayer, and you're already going that way. So he doesn't worry. He's already got you. Why should he come against you with anything? Why should he come against you with minions and send them to interfere? Because you've already accepted the fact that he is your deity. Knock it off, get right, repent. You can still repent and God will still take you in his arms, pull you in tight, kiss your forehead, kiss you on the cheek and give you another hug, set you back and smile and says, of course I do. He will do so. And in heaven, there will be great rejoicing. It's true. It's in the Bible. It's in the word of God. It's in his truth. So what's your perspective? I pray for your strength, your uprightness, your boldness and courage. You have a blessed day.